We've been going through the uh, book of Isaiah, the last chapters, the last 27 chapters, the book of Isaiah. We kind of get stretched out, and so I'm just going to make, just remind you of a couple things tonight. Just one just to suggest, and then two things to remind you, and so we can have it in our mind as we come to this, in one sense, simple and yet profound passage in Isaiah chapter 55. First thing I would note to you, and this we haven't talked about before, um, there is a very real um, cohesion between these chapters in Isaiah and the Gospel of John. As you just need to just note that. You want to do a little work and study, and you'll note that the imagery con- continues. The, the themes are the same. It's very interesting how they're t- woven together. They don't copy each other, but they're woven together. Two things, two verses then, I want to just remind you that we have already discussed because they're going to come up, and that way I don't have to talk about them in the middle. First one, in Isaiah chapter 40, a key verse for the entire section, and particularly this part tonight, predicting the coming of John the Baptist, a voice says cry, and the man asks, what shall I cry? What is it that is the message which prepares a man to meet with God? Prepare the way to the Lord. How can I be prepared for that? And that word was this. All flesh is grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's one verse. I'm not making more comment. The second verse, which is key to this, is, was found in chapter 53, Isaiah 53. A central part of that chapter is why is it that the sur- suffering servant is dying? And he says, this, he says this, all of us, that's all of us, every human being, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. How do we go astray? We turned each one to his own way. And it says that that's the reason he died, because he laid on him. But God has laid on him, that is this servant, he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And if you remember when we were there, it's important because the picture comes up again in this chapter, that the thought there is a shepherd with a sheep all around him, but the sheep are just wandering off. And the the thing about their way is they might be going all kinds of different directions, some towards water, some towards the grass, some towards who knows what's out there. But the one thing they all have in common is that they are moving away from the shepherd. Every way that they have is away from the shepherd. They've turned their back on him. All right. Now, with that said, we're going to come back to chapter uh, 55, but let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come again and ask you to work in our hearts to see clearly. Well, we thank you for your word given. And we're asking again that as we think together with it, on it, that the Spirit of God will himself bring us close. Let us hear and enable us, strengthen us with that might in the inner man to decide to move the way we need to move. And we trust you for that. And we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a progression in these chapters. After you get to chapter 53, when the presentation 
of the suffering servant. It tells us right at the center of the entire poem because the Messiah, his great work, according to Isaiah here, the great work of the Messiah is not so much the kingdom which will come later, but the critical work is what he will do when he bears the sins of the world. We saw already what that meant concerning the Lord, how that pictures and and how he presents what the Lord did when he came. Presented with all kinds of detail that help us to know that God had a plan from way back there that he's working out out here. So that when he gets there, we can know that this is not, this isn't a cleverly devised fable, as Peter says. We didn't follow cleverly devised fables. We followed what the word of God said back there. But we followed it because what he said back there was fulfilled up here and we saw it. We touched, we felt, we saw this one. And so it's not, it's not those fables that we're following. After he presents that in chapter 54, he gives a series of promises to those that benefit from what happened in chapter 53. It's, it's almost entirely given to promises of how God can bless because of his saving work in Jesus Christ. But in chapter 55, he moves to the central question we might need to answer, and how do I enter into that? How does a person, what has to happen to people who have turned their back on God to come close to God? It's a simple chapter in one sense. It's a profound chapter in another sense. And so we just want to move through it. it it's not complex. We don't make it more complex than it is. But remember, it has that central theme that all we, it, it, it's working on that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Let's look at the passage. The first thing has, he talks about here is the need. This is the need that has to be answered if we're to come to the Lord. Chapter 55, verse 1. It says, Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come Buy and eat. Come and buy milk or wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, at the very beginning where he says there, ho, everyone who thirsts. This is not exactly the same as what Jesus says in the uh, in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John. Where he says, if any man thirsts. Here he doesn't say that. And the, we have to get this. Ho, everyone who thirsts, and the thought here is, you're all thirsty. Everybody is thirsty. It's true of every human being. There's a dynamic in the human being. Sometimes the pull that, that turns us to sin is a dynamic pull because of the greatness of what God put in us. We have an energy within us. We have basic desires that are placed there because God made us in His image. But something happened to the human race. You remember at the very beginning, this is the picture that the Word of God gives us when when Eve, who has a chance to know God and has fellowship with God, comes to this conclusion under with the help of the devil and his temptation that there was something more that she could experience if she would take hold of this earth and its goods. What's there? Oh, she had a, there was a, a fruit there that God says, don't eat that fruit. The devil says, eat it because that's the path to life. She had life, but she doesn't know it. And she doesn't pay attention to God, and so she ate it. At that moment, God had fulfilled his promise, or he did fulfill his promise. He said that in the day that you eat it, you're going to die. And the reason, the way that he, she died, she doesn't fall over 
collapsed dead. But what caused that death is God put a wall between them, between Adam and Eve and and himself. And when he did that, in a sense, you could say he ripped out the point of satisfaction of a human heart. What what brings a person to peace? What brings a person to a place where they feel at rest, fulfilled, whatever whatever your term is, for making it on this earth, getting to that place that every human being is dreaming about. The place where everything will be the way it ought to be, and I will be happy, fulfilled, um, satisfied, whatever word you have for that. But once that was ripped out, there was nowhere else to turn but back to this earth. And for the rest of the human experience, human beings have been trying to fill that void, that emptiness, that, that longing, that whatever you want to call that there, with something else. He's not saying, if you thirst, as if there's anyone else. Everyone thirsts. The question is, what are we going to do with that thirst? And I want to say again that the thirst isn't the problem. We have a tendency sometimes, I think, to go too far and we we confuse the thirst with sin. The thirst isn't sin. It's what we do with that thirst. It's what we do with that longing. It's how we answer the question of what are we going to do with our lives. You remember being young and you're in that place where you're going to, you're looking forward to a life. What am I going to do with it? And all the different things. Maybe you didn't have as many. I had bukus of things in front of me. Maybe we could go this way. We could have that career. We could have this relationship. I could have that experience. I could travel to that place. I could maybe get some money and have a, have a Corvette Stingray to drive down the road and impress all the young ladies. And the thought was, and in the dream, in the dream, it's only in the dream, when I had that, I was actually happy in the dream. That's why we go to movies, because they're dreams. We can make it happen the way we want it to happen in a dream, right? In the, in the movie, in the book, we can, we can make the happily ever after. But the fact is that we try that route, we find out it's not happily ever after. And so that's where he's at at the very beginning. Why are we in trouble? Because everyone's turned to his own way. What are we, why are we going down that way? Because we have a thirst that has to be satisfied. We have to do something about it. The only alternative to doing something about that thirst is quitting life. It's the only other alternative there is. If you're going to remain on this earth, you're going to have to do something to try to deal with that. And that's where the writer starts because that's the way God sees the human race. They are a group of dissatisfied people. We tend to put the emphasis on the sin and trying to turn people, again, we'll see here, turn people from sin, but it's the way that you have to turn people from. It's the thinking we have to turn people from. Then he asked the question, okay? So he says, and here's the invitation. He says, the need is there. And he says, here's what you can do about it. You can come and, and, and it's all right here. I've got it all right here. Everything you're thirsting for is right there. Now he goes in verse 2, and this might be one of the more profound questions that you could ask. Ask yourself, ask anybody else. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not 
satisfy. Why do you do that? Why do we do it? Now, again, it's a picture. It's a picture. So let's get the picture. This is why you spend your money. What is your money? It's a picture of your life. You have an opportunity. You write, everybody here tonight has an opportunity. You have time and life and resources. All right? That is, you've got physical life. And you're going to have some time. We're all still breathing and we're having some time. And we have some kind of resources. Different resources. Personal resources, financial resources, intellectual resources, friendship resources, connections, all those things. We have resources. The lie that Eve bought, that we're all falling for, is that somehow by using those, we can find satisfaction. We can somehow quench the thirst. And the eternal God says to us, it's not, you can't do it. And then he asks us the question, why do you keep on trying? Take a look around you and find anybody that's not part of the daydream. All right, not the daydream people, but the real life people who have found that to work. Find them. You see, the very first thing to call out to people is all flesh is grass. If you want to know God, you got to get hold of this. It's all grass. And it's glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. Everything about this life fails. Everything about it fails. Now, God didn't make it to fail. The reason it fails is because the world around us, the flowers, the trees, the beauty, the food, the, the experiences that are possible, He didn't give it to us to fill up that void. And, and we end up like people. You never, you've been to one of those restaurants where they show you what they, what they have. They do it a lot in Japan. I know they, they want to know what they, they serve. Here's, here it is. All the different meals that they have are right there before you. But you don't want those meals because they're all made out of plastic. All right? Because they've been there last week and the week before and the week before and they haven't molded and they haven't, and they're not preservatives. They're not real. And the problem is that we, fall for the fact that that's real and then we get in there and we eat it and eat it and eat it and we try to get the next one try to get the next one go to a different restaurant and it can't help you it cannot satisfy what the hunger that's in in your body because it has no nourishment it wasn't made for that it was made to show you something else well the the world around us is a beautiful world and god gave us all things richly to enjoy but not to satisfy he says why are you doing it why are you doing it that's a profound question Why do you keep trying? Why, when it didn't work for anybody else, do you keep trying to make it work? Why do you spend your wages? And you only have so much time. You only have so much there. For what does not satisfy? And then he says this, and this is important for the passage. Very simple in a sense. Listen carefully to me. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. It is there. But I'm going to tell you where it is. And that's where he goes. So that's the need, he says. Here's the need. You're thirsty. You're hungry. You've got a void. You have an emptiness. You have a longing. You have a pressure within you that has to be satisfied, has to be fulfilled. And you're not finding it fulfilled. Now we have the invitation. God's invitation to them. So simple. Incline your ear 
and come to me. I want you to note the two things he says to do. You're going to have to do two things here. And he's going to continue this thought all the way through. First of all, you're going to have to listen to me. You're going to listen to me. The only way you're ever going to understand where real life is, is to listen to what God has said. All right? The word of God is going to stand forever. It's true. It's actually true. When he said Jesus would come, he came, right? When he said he would die a certain way, he died a certain way. When he said he would rise again, he rose again. Tells us all the details of that so that none of us will be confused. And when God says it's so, it's so. Right? Now he says, now I want you to listen to me about life because this is the issue here. I want you to listen to me about where life really is and what you have to do in order to enter into that life. Right? And then he says, here's what you, when you start listening, I want you to come to me, right? I want you to come to me. It's a real simple um, <clears throat> invitation. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. If you will listen, and listen in this, this book, in the book of uh, Isaiah, I think we talked about this earlier. When it says to listen, it means to listen intentively and go along with what you... It's not just to hear what's said. It is to listen in the sense of obedience or following or or carrying out. Go this way. Follow me in what I'm saying here. Here's what he says he will do. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Now, here's another one of those promises. Back a long way, God promised to David that he would have a descendant sitting on the throne forever. David was not a perfect Man, does anybody know that he's got some some real serious things in it against his case? But God was merciful to him. Why was God merciful to him? Well, the chapter's all about that because, despite his mistakes and his sins, David had a purpose and an aim. He says, "One thing I've asked from the Lord, and that's what I'm going to seek after." He says, when you said to me, this is David, when you said to me, seek my face, and that also goes along with this chapter, when you said, seek my face, come to know me, I said, you know what? And then remember that, we've said that before. When he said, when you said to the world, it's to a group of people, when you said to a group, seek my face, I said to you, I heard that, I listened, and I said, your face is the one I'll seek. And because of his seeking after God, and God makes a covenant with him. Gracious covenant here. And he promises this way out here. And that was despite the fact that David was not a perfect man by any any stretch of the imagination. Now, the Lord says to this to him, he says, now, if you'll just come and listen to me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. Does that, does that do something to your heart? That the eternal God is here tonight, He says to us. This comes down to individual response now. He says to you, I'm ready to make, if you would, an everlasting, a never-ending covenant with you. According to my great mercies. It's a, it's a word which we have seen before. A word which speaks about God's purpose to love continuously. We sometimes translate it covenant love. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it according to that kind of mercy, the kind of mercy I showed to David. 
And then he moves from David. We have to, it's, again, prophets, they jump around here. He moves away from David to David's son. And he begins to speak. This is God speaking to David's son. Behold, I have made, or speaking about him. Behold, I have made him, that's the servant, a witness to the peoples a leader, and a commander for the peoples. This goes along with what he had said before, when talking about the servant, and he said before that that it's a small thing, it's too small a thing, that you should just bring back, you should, through your work, bring back the children of Israel to God. I'm going to make you a light to the nations. And so he promises that he's going to fulfill that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what he goes through there, because we want to get back to the the call that he has here. But he says that if you will come and listen to me, that's how you got to come, is the invitation. Listen and seek me, then I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. All right, now, but there is a, there's a requirement for this. There is a, there's a condition to it. There's a condition to it. And uh, this condition is important for us to understand because sometimes we we think of this as just, uh, well, let's read it first. Let's read it first, and then we'll, we'll look at that. Seek the Lord. This is verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon seek the lord while he may be found call on him while he is near okay a little theology what what do we think about there because after all um i want to tell you that whether you knew it or not whether i knew it or not you have lived and moved and had your being in god from the time you were conceived what does that mean that means that god was never far from me my entire life and never far from any other human being When the Apostle Paul appeared before Nero in his trial, you've got one of the godliest men on the face of the earth. You've got one of the most ungodly men on the face of the earth. They are are face to face. And yet when they are face to face, God has been with Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, all of his life. He has lived and moved and had his being in God. The man who sat in front of him, as evil as he was, Nero, lived and moved and had his being in God. So it's not as if God's out there and he comes poking into creation at times. He's right near us all of the time. He is there. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about you because he has been there the whole time. Right? But then there was an interesting point in the apostle paul's life i mean he was going his own way just like nero's going his way paul was going his way his way was a religious way but it wasn't a religious way that was actually it was a it was a warped view of scriptural way he thought he was going the scriptural way but he was not going the scriptural way and then something happened he was in jerusalem one day And a man stood up and began to preach on the street. And that man's message ended this way. After he he surveyed the history of Israel. And here was a man that was given 
to the service of God as he understood it in part of the the history of Israel. And that man stood there and said, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart and ears. He's speaking to Jewish people there. You always resist. You always have and you continue to resist the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has been speaking to you, but you have been resisting. And at that point, that point of time, the Lord came near. The Lord isn't any closer in proximity. It's not a nearness of that. But at that point in time, God came to the Apostle Paul and begins to open up his eyes to what's real. He is speaking. That's when he draws near. He draws near when he begins to take his word and speak to my heart. That would culminate at a period later on when he will come face to face with Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. And that beginning of of him drawing near and the opportunity he gave him will be consummated. He will come into the kingdom of God. See, call on the Lord while he's near, or call him while he, um, while he, come to him while he's near. Why do you have to, what is that, why does that have to take place? Because there's going to come a time. God is always there. The gospel is always there. I will, uh, I will say that clearly. But you won't come if God doesn't help you understand. And there comes a time in your life where the Spirit of God begins to illumine the Word of God to you and you begin to see. And when that takes place, it is imperative what you do. We have a tendency, is where I was going to go a few minutes ago, but we have a tendency to think that when Jesus comes and He speaks, that that just means that the person's going to all, all automatically drop into the kingdom of God. But that's not the picture that's given in the New Testament. Jesus came and said this, I didn't come to bring peace on the earth. I came to bring a sword. I came to divide. You see, if Jesus Christ, he's not going to, so this is a per- completely hypothetical situation. Don't, I don't believe it would happen. If Jesus Christ stood here tonight and spoke truth to this crowd, he would divide it. Now, hopefully, we would all be on one side. But once truth has been revealed, a person makes a choice. Once that comes, that illumination comes to your mind, you begin to sense what is real here and you begin to understand what God has said. You are forced into decisiveness. You are forced into a place where you choose one way or the other. The Apostle Paul Resisted for a period of time, but he's forced to a place where on that road to Damascus, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. There is another man, well known to all of us, his, his name, he we don't know his name, but he's called the rich young ruler. That's, that's his, his, in the Western church, it's, that's the way it's done. The rich young ruler. And he wanted to know how a man could be saved. He was presented. He had the Lord himself who loved him on that day. Speak to him about which what you're going to have to do about that. And he walked away a sad man because once you hear the truth, it's kind of like having a ship coming at you. And that ship is dividing things. There's a weight going out that way and there's a weight going out that way. It's like being in that lake that's in at the top of the mountains in 
in uh, the Rocky Mountains. It sits right on the Continental Divide. And if, if the water goes out one side of that lake, it ends up in the Pacific Ocean. If it goes the other way, it ends up in the Atlantic Ocean. Pretty bad divide. Thousands of miles apart, but at one point they're all there together. But they, uh, a divide takes place. Well, in this case, that's what the truth is. Now, the Lord says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. And when's he near? He's near when he's speaking. That's why tonight's important. It's why one of the things I have to think about every time you come to the Word of God, that you're opening it up to people, make sure it's done accurately, because at that point the Lord's there. He's seeking people. All right, now, here's what he says. What are you going to do about that? Call on wise near. And then he says how to do it. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. The call of this passage is always to the positive. There's no question about that. He doesn't say much about the negative, but he says this is what has to happen. What is it have to, what needs to take place? The unrighteous man has to forsake his way. Now I want you to note in that passage, he does not say, and this is important to the, the entire section, he does not say let him forsake his ways. Okay? Because that would put the emphasis on the things he's doing, the particulars. He's saying, here's what has to happen at this point. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. Why did we turn to our own way? We turned to our own way because we were convinced that that would fill up the, the em- emptiness. It would quench the thirsting. It would, however you want to put that, that picture. I'm almost afraid of the quench the thirst because it's so common that it becomes lost on us. But that, that inner, that inner longing that it would do it. All right? It may be you go get an education because of this. It may be you enter, you, again, you travel the world because of this. It may be you get into illicit sex because of this. It could mean you, you pump up drugs or you pump up your body and, and make it whatever. Or get that car that gives everybody, makes everybody think you're somebody. But that was your way. But behind the actions was this longing and a belief that you could find life here. So he is saying, again, you're going to have to forsake sin. There's no question about that. But he doesn't put the emphasis on the sin. He puts the emphasis on his way, on the way. And then what is what is he also? The unrighteous man has to forsake his thoughts. Now, again, I can't prove this, but I, I believe that if you keep consistent in the chapter, the thoughts here are not so much that he has evil pictures in his mind, like a person that has an impure mind, although that's a problem. Don't get me wrong. And that has to be forsaken. But the, the, the mind here is the mind that goes behind the way. That thought that you can still find life on this earth, that you can find fulfillment here. He says you're going to have to forsake that. Now, isn't that the same thing that the Lord says in the New Testament? If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Because if a man saves his life, what happens to it, according to Jesus? You lose it. Why would you lose your life if you save it? Because the Lord's right there to seek. 
And the, the nature of the human heart is this. You can't have two masters. You can't have two masters, right? What the Lord said with regards to money, he's speaking particularly about money, but it, it counts in every other way that you could come up with. Money happens to be at the root of a lot of it. The love of money, root of all kinds of evil. But he says this about it. No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, love the other, hold to the one, and, and, and forsake the other. You can't serve God and things. That was the application he made at that particular point. But that's the nature of the human heart in every area. Because here is the thought, what he's saying. Where, where is life? What is life? What really is it? This is what message coming down here. This is the message. He said, what is life? Life is knowing God. See, the invitation is to come to him. And see, that's, that's where the big divide comes. That's what happened to that rich young ruler at that, that day. Here it was. You can either follow me, join me, or you can have your money. And you've got to decide which one is going to deal with the pulling in their heart. And he, he took his money. And when he took his money, he walked away from the bread of life. He walked away from the light of the world. He walked away from the true vine. He walked away from the door of the sheep. He walked away from everything that could have given him what he really wanted, eternal life. Now, that's what the, that's what the writer's saying here. See, a man has to forsake that. And it's, it's more than just putting off this sin or that sin. It is putting off a way of thinking that life is here on this earth. That life can be found by experiencing things right now. Because the eternal God has called him out there. Okay, now what else he say? Let's keep going there. How are we going to enter into that? Verse 8, he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And now, that's actually a pretty hard verse to expound. I mean, what does that mean? In the context here, because first of all, God created the entirety of the universe, right? He did. All right? So that would mean that he can think better than I can think. All right? I have a hard time. I've been a builder. I've tried to do building in my life. <laughs> it's a hard thing for me to get that right. I can't say, let there be house, and there was house. All right? I have to think about all the details. So to say that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that seems sort of obvious, all right? And, and, and he's not just talking about generally that God's smarter than we are. If you haven't gotten that clear, then we need to talk about theology, about what you're, th- what you're calling God. I mean, so in one sense, that seems... Why would he throw this in here? He's not just saying... That God is smarter than we are. He's saying the way I look at things, the way I have built things to work is a whole lot different than the way you think things were built to work. You think that I gave you relationships on this earth to satisfy you. I didn't. I can satisfy you. 
I have a way to do that, and I can do that by fellowshipping with you. You think that a house will make you happy, but it won't. You were made for relationship. You were made in the image of God so that you, you, you particularly, think about it for a moment, you particularly could have a relationship with the one who created the entirety of the universe. That's what he has in mind. And what do we have in mind? A bigger car. A better house. A different, uh, you know, a more profound vacation. A, a, an experience of this place or that place or, or a sexual experience. Or a whatever else. We can keep on going. He says, you're too low in your thinking. My thoughts are way up here and your thoughts are way down there. All right, they're on the earth. The heavens and the earth don't touch there. And this is this is the point. Now, what's he going to say further? That, that helps us to understand what he says next. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and of furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I said, here's the thing. The human race is in a mess because they walked away from God, but he won't let it go without a fight. That's the picture here. His hot thoughts are way up here. Our thoughts are way down here. They're separated. They are, they are so far apart that human race will never get it. They will never understand. They will never be able to find what they're longing for. So what did God do? He speaks His Word. He, goes, he speaks from up here, and He comes down, and He tells us what's going on. Now, the purpose he's doing that is to convince our hearts that knowing God is life itself. That's what he's trying to get across to us. And the only way we're going to figure that out is to listen to him. Right? Does it seek the Lord while he's, while he's near? Call him or call on while he's near. Seek the Lord. So we have that opportunity. And so he speaks. But he speaks about, he, he, pictures this thing of of coming down from heaven in this word. This is where the book jumps way beyond. We think about that as the the written word, that God speaks to us in the word. That's true. But in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with him. Everything was made through him. And the word that's moving ahead And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Our glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, when when we're thinking about God speaking, He's not just speaking through the pages of Scripture, just in what it says in the Scripture. What it says in the Scripture is telling us about a person, a person who will come. A person who did come. A person who came to tell us what life really is about. To explain everything to us. To tell us to not seek for the things of this earth. Seek first 
the kingdom of God and His righteousness and the rest will fall into place. That if you thirst, come to me and drink. Drink from me. And I'll give and you will experience that river of water flowing up from within. The reason God came down in the Lord Jesus Christ and the reason this word was given so we can understand the Lord Jesus Christ is because we'll never get it if we don't listen to him. If we don't listen. Because he has this word. You can't figure out life without this. But when that takes place, when you see that, when you hear that, the great divide takes place. We need to know that. Once I understand that fact, then I have to do something about it. And the Lord himself stands there and gives us invitation to come to him. Now, I know from experience the enormity of the pull of all the other thoughts. I know what it's like. I was there to have all of your life. You build up in your mind a thought pattern about how you can experience the best things in life, what you needed to have fulfillment or all the rest, and then to be confronted with the message of Jesus Christ. And I know what happens at that point. There's a scary moment where you have to make a decision. Do you believe God or not? And that's where it becomes decisive. That's why he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Forsake it. Let the wicked, they're wicked because along the way, on my way, I did evil things. But it was the fundamental seeking of my own way that was the problem. That's what I have to forsake. Too often we try to deal with the sins that people have without dealing with the way that they're living. If you don't change the way, you're never going to clear up the sin problem. You're never even going to begin to make a penetration into that sin problem because every time that you deal with one thing, they're still going to come up with this. Something out there has to satisfy my heart. And if it isn't the Lord Jesus Christ, then it isn't going to satisfy. And they'll just pop from one sin to another. They might have a, they might clean up their act. And instead of being wild out here, they now lead a respectable life, but they're still trying to find it here. And the Lord, and this is a tremendous chapter, and here's God, at very great price to himself, paid for the guilt of all the sin that we messed up on. Why? Because he wanted to call you and he wanted to call me to himself. That's profound. You don't have to be brilliant to be one of the ones. that You don't have to be capable. You don't have to be anything. The Lord of glory made you to know him. And to experience in that knowledge, life. It's a wonderful chapter. So what does he say? Come. Come and I will, the mercies of David, I'll put them upon you. You'll eat and be satisfied. And it won't cost you anything. That is, you can't earn it. I want to say that with respect. This always makes people confused. When, when you give up your way, you're not earning anything. You're just deciding you're going to do that or you're going to do this. Because you're either going to give up your way or you're going to give up on Jesus. That's just, it's that simple. You're either going to give up on His salvation or you're going to give up on that. But you can't have them both. Because His way and your way are different. And if you want to know life, you're going to have to give that up because you can't find life while you're trying to still eat the plastic food. The meals are inside. So if you give up on the plastic, we can take it inside. 
But if you're not going to give up on the plastic, you'll never get to the real stuff. And you're never going to know what it means to be satisfied. It's a tremendous chapter. This is why Jesus went through everything he went through on that cross. It's not as if God doesn't care much about the sin. No, he cares a great deal about the sin, but at very great price to himself, he cleared that so that he can say to you, seek my face. He's saying to every person in this room, seek my face. Now, some might ask the question, does this apply? Because Israel had known God and went astray and comes back. Does this have to do with people who who don't know God in the first place or people who do know God and have drifted off the path? I don't care. If tonight you're seeking your own way and you think it's going to give life, you need to turn around. God will abundantly pardon. He'll take care of the sin and he will he, he will receive you back. But the condition is that you have to forsake that. Because as long as you're thinking that way, you've got low-minded thought and you're never going to enter into the heavenly thought. You're never going to understand the word of God. I am deeply concerned that there are many people that sit in churches every week who believe this Bible in one sense, who try to live by certain pieces of it and don't know anything about life because they never gave up on that way. They're still sheep who have gone astray because they're still living for their own way. They have never embraced the opportunity to know God. Jesus Christ died, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. That's what the writer's saying here. Great possibility. He says it, it's, it's a meal to be enjoyed. It is a blessing to be reveled in. There's great promises in this book, but it costs. There is a price. You've got to, in order to enter into that, you have to drop the other side. Have you ever done that? Think about it. For I, I want you to think that through for just a moment. Have you ever come to the conclusion? Have you, have you ever believed what God says, that you aren't going to get satisfaction out of this earth. You're never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to find the answer by anything that's out there. By building your world, by developing yourself, by all the rest. But there's only one way to really have that dealt with. And that is to know God. He is the bread of life. Once you get there, then the... You might think, well, that will lead to very passive lives when all these people, people death to self has been taught in so many different ways. That people say, well, it's going to lead to a very dead person and they're going to lead to a very, you know, passive person. It doesn't because then the dynamic, all that dynamic which was misused before is now available, if you would, to the Spirit of God as He infuses the life of Jesus Christ into And those same powerful desires then begin to build the kingdom of God and they begin to meet people's needs and they begin to be used for the glory of God. It's a wonderful experience. And in that, you experience life and other people experience life. But the question is, do you believe that? That's where he is. This is a thought thing. Oh, everyone thirsts. Now, here's what he wants to say. Come and drink. Why are you spending your your energies for things that don't matter? Come, he says. And I will abundantly pardon. Come and you'll receive a covenant. I I will establish with you a covenant which can't be broken, just like I did with David. And you will be under the blessing of God. Where are you tonight? So let's pray. 
Father, we come and ask you to take your word. We thank you it's spoken. We have it in our hands. We thank you for drawing near. Father, we collectively would thank you, each one who knows that day when you came and you spoke and you began to crush our worlds and, and take us out of our confusion and bring us to God. Father, in your mercy, do it for every person here tonight. Father, work by your Spirit to enable us to understand and to choose life. And we come and trust you for it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.